is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to chat with Abner and Amanda of Johnny Swim over Zoom video. You should do yourself a huge favor as well and check out the video version of this interview because they are doing the interview from a hotel room where they're quarantining due to four out of five of them in the family got COVID, which is horrible, but they tested negative, but you kind of see the chaos behind uh, their life at the time we recorded this interview. Abner grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, where he got into music at a very early age, ended up attending art school for, for music, moved to Nashville, and went on to pursue a career as a songwriter. Amanda is the daughter to Bruce Sedano and Donna Summer. So she grew up in a very musical household. Her dad wrote songs for Michael Jackson, Dolly Parton, Reba McIntyre, and Donna Summer. And of course, her mom, Donna Summer, the queen at disco. So she grew up in a musical household. Abner and Amanda are married. That happened later, but they, they met. They tell us the story of how they met at a coffee shop. They both attended the same church in Nashville. Amanda was going to college in Nashville, and uh, so was Abner. They went to the same church, ended up meeting at this coffee shop, eventually started writing songs together and performing just around the Nashville area. They talked about getting their first booking agent, doing tours around the country to really nobody, which eventually led them to this tour they're currently on playing massive rooms. The Grand Ole Opry here in Nashville is one of them. They talked to us about some of the milestones in their career when they were actually able to support themselves and pay their bills with music, how big of a moment that was. Into all about this brand new record, their self-titled album, which is really their fourth record, but Abner explains it as this is really a Polaroid of them as a band. That's why it was the self-titled record. There's a lot of new songs. They're all new, new to us, but a couple of them were written years ago. One even written 15 years ago. So definitely check out the video and uh, check out their new self-titled record from Johnny Swim. You can watch that video up now on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be amazing if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it'd be awesome if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Johnny Swim. I appreciate you guys being here today. Thank you yeah. so much. Oh, thanks for having us. Yeah. The highlight of our week, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Oh, that means a lot. Well, I'm Adam, and this podcast is about the both of you and your journey in music and the new record you have coming out as well. Heck yeah, man. Amazing. Uh, so I uh, want you guys to tell me, born and raised, Abner, I saw you're from where, Florida originally? The great state of Florida. I'm sorry, our daughter's got to go potty. And oh, good. We're locked in a room together. So this is what it is. <laughs> is Joaquin in there? Yeah. Well, everybody all right? All right, I'm going to keep going. Sorry. You know, <laughs> no, dude, no apology necessary. All things are lovely here on COVID Island. Mm -hmm. But man, yeah, I was born in Jacksonville, Florida, child of uh, Cuban immigrants that came here in 1980. My family came in 1980 during the Mario boat lift with uh, not a nickel to their name, not wow. a lick of clothing other than what they were wearing, uh, not a change of clothes, nothing. 
just a dream to risk everything. My dad told me to his dying day. We risked everything so that you guys would have a chance of living the life that you want to, not the life that is forced upon you. Mm-hmm. And so wow. 1983, I was born in Jacksonville, Florida. My, uh, my parents learned to speak English around the same time I did. I'm English second language, dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up, you know, the youngest of three, the only boy, super active. My family wanted to put me, I wanted to take karate classes, which my parents thought would be wise to show me some discipline. Sure. <laughs> I, my parents also didn't want me to only take a class that showed me to fight. They wanted me to take something that would temper my energy. Okay. And so they put me in violin lessons when I was seven years old. Oh, wow. So violin and karate. And then violin was what changed my life. I studied art school in Florida, Douglas Anderson School of the Arts. I uh, got a scholarship to a college here in Nashville where I played in their small symphony. And in Nashville is where I was able to chase my dreams. My dad told me one day after I told him I didn't want to go to FSU there in Florida. Dad said, well, where do you want to do? He said, I want to be a songwriter. I want to be a performer. Mm-hmm. He said, well, where do you got to live to do that? I said, I got to live in L.A., New York or Nashville. And he said, well, Papa, we can't afford New York, L.A., so you're going to Nashville. <laughs> That's where so I ended up. That's where I met the love of my life. My life changed. Amazing. I'm actually, we, my family and I moved to Nashville or south of Nashville uh, a year ago, a little over a year ago now from oh, San Diego. We love awesome. it here. Yeah. Heck yeah, man. So. We're in Franklin actually right now. Oh, I could probably throw a rock and sort of near where you're at. Probably, I'd probably hear it cool. <laughs> I'd hear it cool. Oh, that's amazing. Like yeah. Children near the cool springs wall. That's probably us. Okay. <laughs> You're not too far from where I'm at, actually. That's yeah. amazing. I know you're doing a show here at Opry coming yeah. up in, in a week. In like in a week. That one. Yeah, that's amazing. And you're touring with Caitlin Tarver, who I've had a chance to interview, and she is such a sweet person oh, as well. She's the best. She's, she's brilliant. She's like way too much fun. Crazy so talented, cool. beautiful. It's awesome to have her. And she mm-hmm. brings her karaoke machine on tour. So, uh, so it makes it extra fun. This is our son, Joaquin. <laughs> so good. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was funny. Um, yeah, amazing. She brings her karaoke machine. Is that what you said? She has like one of those karaoke microphones. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't know this until the last night we were all on the bus and, uh, and she brought it out and we just had a night of fun karaoke and it was, it was the best night of tour. <laughs> That's amazing. That is amazing. And Amanda, you uh, obviously grew up in, in a musical household, um, yeah. born in, in L.A. Is that I what I read? L.A., that's right. Okay. And I, I mean, there. My, my parents were songwriters and singers and um, and yeah, the music was like everywhere in my family. Like you couldn't get away from it, like even if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. I always say that my biggest rebellion in life was going to college and getting a degree. Oh, okay. <laughs> but why? <laughs> I'm going to college, okay? Um, but yeah, you know, everybody in my family writes music, sings. I am probably like the least talented of all the people in my family, but somehow I'm, I think, the most tenacious, I think. And I think that's supposed to be like humility, but it's also ignorance. Uh, no, but everything, everybody is. Uh, Did she call you? No. Everybody's everybody's musician. We all love it, which is kind of awesome because even though I was raised with people who were successful in music, mm-hmm. um, that was never really the goal. The goal was to just do what you love, you know, and everybody know. loves music. And I'm, I'm you know, for some people, it worked out as a living. For some people, it was just a hobby. But either way, the the goal was always do what you love. And it just happened to be that music was kind of what we all love. So and that's amazing. That it was something that you were really interested in because sometimes if you're what your parents do you're not 
really fond of. I yeah. mean, and to kind of, were you in the studio from being a little girl, like being on? Had, was that just lo- life? Well, we had a studio at our house um, in LA. We had like, a, we had, we lived in like a ranch. And so my parents like renovated one of the stables into a studio. So after school, I'd ride my bike down to that stable and go check on my dad and check my mom. And they would, you know, if they weren't busy, we'd record songs together and stuff like that, which is thing that Abner does with our son Joaquin a lot now too if they're they're bored they go to the studio and they'll write a song usually usually the theme is about poop generally speaking <laughs> um, solid theme solid theme <laughs> can relate most of the time uh, yeah. <laughs> sometimes yeah, it's it like it was it was always there we, I was on the road with them all the time but I was definitely the most shy kid like my sisters were performers at heart and I was like the, the shy one so um so I think everybody was a little bit surprised that I was the the one that was like, no, I think I actually want to like do this for work. You know, I want to do this like mm-hmm. for my life. And they were like, how you don't sing in front of us. And I was like, I don't know yet. I'm going to figure that part <laughs> out. And that's when Abner came in. Cause Abner was kind of the one that was like, okay, stop writing songs in your room by yourself. And like, let's go play some shows together, which I was like, I don't know if I'm ready. And he was like, yeah, you are. Come on. We're going to do it. <laughs> okay. So did he- you go to college in Nashville? Like how- what took you to Nashville? Yeah. Okay. I went to Vanderbilt. Oh, you did. Is that where you went as well, Abner, or no? I went to Dravecka Nazarene University. Oh, okay. I have a couple of neighbors that went there. Amazing. So how did you then meet each other? Was it out songwriting or songwriting we somewhere? Met, um, we we had gone to kind of the same church. And so we knew a lot of the same people from this church. And then okay. one night at a coffee shop, Cafe Coco, I don't know if it's still there. It must be. It's Cafe Coco. It's an institution. Uh, we were in line. I was in line behind him no, and we were right. like, oh, no, you were sitting down when I, when I got there. No, no, mm-hmm. no I met you at the sir. table. I met no, you at the you table. Mm-hmm. No, you did not. I remember the table you were sitting at. I know you remember the table because you did come over, but I was in line behind you and the girl I was with said, oh, there's Abner and Matt. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I was like, hey, Matt. And you were like, oh, I'm Abner. And I was like, I'm Amanda. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've never met you, but I know a lot about you. Okay, cool. And then we went and sat at the table and then he came over and said, I've heard so much about you for so long. Is it okay if I sit down and hang out with you guys for a minute? And I was like, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds good to me. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, my roommate at the time was a songwriter named Matt Carney. And Mm -hmm. so Matt knew Amanda already. And Matt actually is the one that introduced Amanda and I. Wow. Okay. And were you, did you know that Amanda was a songwriter as well? I did not know she was a songwriter. I knew she was ferociously gorgeous. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> that's about as far as I got in the resume. I may have been handed more information, but that's all I knew. Okay. That's all I paid attention to. And when did you start writing together? Uh, so Amanda and I became friendly after that night, that fateful night at Cafe Coco. And at the time, I had just gotten out of a really bad record deal mm-hmm. in, here in Nashville. Okay, so you yeah. had already had a deal and you were signed at, and everything already at this point. I was signed at 18 here in Nashville. Wow. And then I was in a lawsuit when I was 19 here in oh. Nashville. Uh, you know, it was one of those crazy production deals where like, they're the label, they're the publisher, they're mm. literally everything and they own everything. And they gave me a car and a guitar. And so I was very thrilled until I realized I'd signed away my entire life forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was tough. So when Amanda came to a show of mine, I was playing at 12th and Porter downtown Nashville. Uh, she came and met me at the bar afterwards and I was super nervous because I was really into her and I was nervous that she was there for this performance. I had a buddy grab me by the shoulders, Robert Campbell. He said, Abner, Amanda Sudano is here tonight to hear you sing. 
And I just remember like the blood felt like it left my body. And I was like, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. No big deal. No big deal. No big deal. So nervous. I sang a few songs and I went back through like the, they had a, they used to have this attached pizza shop. I don't know if it's there anymore. I went back through like the kitchen of the pizza shop inside of the bar next door to hide from Amanda. Cause I was so like nervous that I just like performed for the room might've had a million people in it. It didn't, it maybe had a hundred people in it, but I only saw her. I played just for her. Mm-hmm. I had performed for her. And so I was sitting at the bar next door. She came down, sat next to me. And she asked me, so what are you doing with the music thing? With this music thing? I was like, absolutely nothing. I had just got out of a bad record deal. Just got out of a lawsuit. I, uh, I'm not really pursuing it as a career anymore. I just, I'll do it as a hobby for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, that's dumb. We should write. And when she said we should write, she could have said anything. She said, we, she could have said, <laughs> let's build furniture. Let's learn <laughs> be blacksmiths. Let's learn... Whatever she offered to do together, the answer was yes. But I'm grateful it was something that I had a skill set at when she asked to write songs together. And that was the beginning of the end. Wow. Wow. Okay. So then you start writing together, obviously chemistry and writing chemistry. And you put what put some songs together first. And then do you hit the streets of Nashville and just start playing them to people? Or how did it start? I think we just started like writing some songs and then somebody asked him to open at 12th and Porter and he was like, Oh, sing with me. Like play, like let's say, like do the songs together. And I was like, okay. And then <laughs> I think that's how it happened. Right. We just, yeah. We just like started playing at coffee shops or like literally there was a Chinese, like Asian fusion restaurant downtown that would have live music on the weekends. And so we would do like four hour sets. Like, you know, we had like maybe three total Johnny Swim songs at that point, but we were like, oh, we're going to play the three Johnny Swim songs four times. And then uh, we're going to like learn a bunch of covers. <laughs> yeah. and, okay. Um, and that's like, that's basically what we did for, for several years, just played wherever anybody would let us have a microphone. And sometimes we even had to bring our own microphones and we were like, fine, that's fine. Let's that's do right. it. What was the first like big, you know, milestone moment, kind of like a validating thing that you both were like, this is odd. This is something amazing. We need to keep doing this. Oh my gosh. And I mean this, the very first time we sang together ever, it was wow. in the house I was living in with Matt Carney and we sat down to write a song and we started singing a little thing together. And as soon as we started singing together, I knew this is what I knew. I knew that I now had an excuse to hang out with her a lot alone because I knew we sounded good together. And ultimately, we didn't get together some plan, like make a band together. That wasn't I wanted to be alone with her for as much time as possible. I told her early on, I would I will marry you tomorrow. I'll be your best friend the rest of your life. But I plan on being around you for as long as I'm alive. And wow. I'm glad I didn't have to get friend zoned forever because yeah. now it sounds less attractive. And I'm looking at my beautiful babies. <laughs> I can't imagine having gotten friend zoned. Uh, so it was that moment when I realized the very first note we sang together, man, I knew there was something to this. And, you know, especially in Nashville, I think back in those days, back, you know, we're talking early 2000s, mm-hmm. but it, the, the sentiment still permeates all, all systems of art for commerce. You often expect someone to discover you and take you to a place that you've always dreamt of going. You, you're waiting for that gatekeeper to open the door and launch your career or take you to, you know, the mountaintop. And for the vast majority of us, 99.99999% of professional creatives that never happens. Mm-hmm. You never have, it, it, it ends up being a, uh, a series of spokes in a wheel where if any one spoke didn't exist, the wheel would be weakened and maybe damaged 
but no one spoke is any more important than the other one. There's not one uh, Elton John at the Troubadour moment. We don't have a, a hang our hat moment where our life changed forever. Other than for me, two things. The first time we sang together in 2005 and the first year we paid our bills, our bills of music, 2012. Those, wow. are, the, uh, those are the two defining mo- career moments for us. Yeah, I think it's... Uh... I think it's super interesting because I think there was points where we looked at each other and we're like, we definitely want to keep doing this, but it wasn't because somebody externally was like, Oh, you guys are great. We want to like, you know, champion you. It was more Mm -hmm. like we're having a really good time doing this and we're having fun playing these shows. And, and, you know, I think lucky for us, I think, you know, as different as our upbringings were, we did, we both had parents that were like, do what you love, Mm -hmm. go for it. You know, he had immigrant parents that like came over here with nothing but the clothes on their backs and were like, you're here. We want you to be able to dream big and do what you love. That's why we came here. And my parents, you know, were on a different spectrum, but they got to already live that. You know, they that's what they did. Their parents said, yeah. go do go do whatever. So my mom like, mm-hmm. moved to Germany when she was 19 and was in a play. And my dad, you know, at 17 was moving to L.A. And like so we both had parents that were like, no, go do the thing that you love to do. So our like our litmus test was, are we loving it? Are we having fun? Paying our bills was kind of like down at the bottom, you know, because okay. we're like, whatever, I can work at Starbucks. He can be a busboy as long as we're flexible so we can go play shows or we can take time off to like go do like college tours or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, that was that was the big thing. And then, you know, I think when we finally got our first booking agent was probably like, the moment where we were, we were like, Oh, we can just do this because it was, you know, years of us having other random jobs, you know, still, still doing like little tours at colleges and stuff like that, but you know, still had other jobs. And then once we got our first like booking agent, Bobby could, I remember him saying, you know, so I'm going to put you on this tour. You're going to play all these really small rooms and maybe a couple people show up and then we're going to go back and we're going to do the same thing again. And the next time more people are going to show up. And before you know it, there's going to be 500 people at these places, maybe more at some of the places. And I remember thinking 500 people like in Kansas City is it like, no, I remember like just being like, OK, sure. Right. Whatever you say, sir. Mm-hmm. And, you know, before we know it, like, you know, I, I think a year or two after that, we were playing Jazz Fest for, you know, 50,000 people on the main stage. And we were like, how did this happen? And still, still, I kid you not. Sometimes I wake up in our house that we somehow afford from music and our three kids and our life. And I go, how? We were just playing at a coffee shop Mm -hmm. because we were having fun. You know, there was it wasn't a I, you know, like you said, there was no uh, one moment where we were like, oh, we've made it. It was like a bunch of moments and a lot of gratitude at every moment Mm -hmm. Um, for you. When it comes to uh, like you were an unsigned band, right, Abner? And then when like you're getting these big like Apple and these companies are coming to you to to what use your song for campaigns and was like not signing to a label, something that or was a label you were skeptical to because of the experience you had prior? Uh, No, I wasn't so scared. But this is the fact of the matter. The fact of the matter is at the time there were no duos. This is like pre-Civil Wars, pre like Mm, everybody having a boy girl group. I remember being in multiple meetings where like duos don't make sense. Like, what are you, Sonny and Cher? And we were dating at the time when we were married. They're like, so they're like, what's going to happen if you guys break up? Which we did break up while we were making music and we kept the band together. And then we got back together. So everything oh, worked wow. out. <laughs> but it was, there was no, uh, 
we to this day we're still weird for people because we don't make folk music we don't make r&b mm-hmm. music we don't make pop music we don't make rock music we do a hybrid of it all right we don't i call it regular music <laughs> i call it good no yeah good music that's it. a good way to describe it <laughs> you know you get you get used to being fed especially coming up as a as an artist that wants to make a career out of it that you got to pick your lane find your lane there's these five pre-existing lanes and you really got to fit into them and sure maybe it's easier mm-hmm. than carving your own way but if you're meant to pave your own way nothing's going to make you happier than paving your own way which mm-hmm. is what i believe we've done uh from you know, in, in L.A., there's the term ethnically ambiguous when it comes to uh, hiring talent of color and they could kind of be whatever you want them to be in the movie. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like we're that musically. I feel like we're not ambiguous, but it's just there's so much to it. There's so much flavor to it in different directions that labels and stuff never really got down. People still we make a living at the shock and awe of many people who we've walked away from. And obviously, you know, there's plenty of movies and documentaries where the, that's the greatest opening is all the no's, right? We just haven't stopped getting them yet. We've gotten still received plenty of no's, but that's why this, what's so exciting is we've built a career, a sustainable career, not a flash in the pan thing, not not a, uh, I hope you like that one song because that's all we're going to be able to play forever. Off of really playing for folks in person, getting in front of people and proving it, showing folks, because really I feel like that's, one of the things we're called to not just, and I say called to, and I really, I really mean that one of the reasons I believe we were put on this earth is what happens at a Johnny swim show. I believe people can walk out better than they walked in. I believe people can get at a Johnny swim show at a bar with a gin and tonic in hand, something that maybe they could have gotten at church and didn't. Maybe they won't ever get a church because they'll never feel accepted or loved or welcomed. I know I had a hard time with that growing up in church, being a person of color in Southern Baptist, you know, it's, it's a tough place to be. And so I really, we built a career off of this thing and it's, it's really interesting how I don't answer the question yet somehow mm. continue talking. Mm-hmm. So that's really fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is where I just stopped. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I see how you brought it back around, but I forgot where I started. I also forgot where you started. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, I've, I've heard. Okay. So my neighbor knows you two and through, through church, uh, yeah. he, he was at a church or ran a church in, in LA I don't Brian Ortiz. Love I was Brian. literally about to say, I was like, Brian Ortiz. Yeah, Brian and Rachel Ortiz, hey. amazing people. Our kids are like best friends now. And uh, so what I, and I'm just going to, is that where you, that's also probably where you met where Caitlin for the first time and she's on this tour with you or no. no? So that's where wow. we met Andy Barron. Uh, okay. Photographer of the stars. Is that where we met Andy? That's where we met Andy oh. Barron. Uh, we've known, we have tons of mutual friends with Andy Barron. But Andy Barron is a photographer who also plays bass and he used to play bass for Brian at the church there uh-huh. in LA. And that's where me and Andy were kind of reconnected, even though, again, we've got tons of mutual friends. Sure. And it was through my friendship with Andy that he brought up, uh, he brought up Caitlin to us. We did this thing over the pandemic called live from the backyard that we'll probably be doing again. Oh, awesome. And uh, Caitlin was our first in-person guest. Life oh, like, okay. Look it up on YouTube. It was a really spec- she made she did a spectacular performance on our show, and uh, from then on, it was like no question we wanted if the stars aligned, we'd love to have her on tour with us. Mm-hmm. And they did oh, that's align. awesome because I think she went to that same church. Or they know her because of the church. Yeah, that it's funny. Sense. Yeah, when we first met him, uh, we we're 
they brought you guys, which was really funny. And then I told him like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be interviewing them. He's like, no way. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> He's like, that's so random. But um, anyway, I'm curious, speaking to the pandemic and this new record you guys have out, uh, the song, most recent song you put out, I read that it, you started writing it or you wrote it what, like 15 years ago or something like that. Yeah, Desmond. Okay, song. so this is like a, a an album that's been a, in the works for a while, not just something you started during COVID. It sounds yeah. Like. Well, what's funny about Desmond's song is that every album that we've done, we've always been like, oh, we got to put Desmond's song on there. And actually, our last album, Moonlight, we fully recorded it in the studio, and then we're just like, Meh, I don't know. Just it just always was like, oh, it's not quite right, and but we couldn't figure out why, and it was like kind of one of those things where I'm like, all right, well, it'll just be a song that we play around the house to each other for the next couple decades and, you know, whatever. Um, and then it was like, we got in the studio and we're like, well, let's just try it one more time. And we had our dear friend, Aaron Redfield, uh, who's a drummer in the studio with us that day. And so we were like, let's just try some stuff. And Abner was producing and, and we just kind of started messing around with like different sounds with it, you know, kind of just going in different direction than, than we had tried before. Mm-hmm. And at some point Abner came out of the room and was like, I think I love it. I think we got it this time. And so it was really exciting. And then, um, so we were personally excited because we were like, Oh, finally, like this song's going to see the light of day. And then we played the whole album for our friend, Toby Nwigwe, who's a rapper. And he was like, I want to be on that song. And we were like, all right let's go so it was like the song got like two upgrades in a row uh and finally made it to the album so that one's really exciting um most of the album was either that's the oldest song Mm -hmm. um but most of the album was there's a couple songs that were written like do you have to go to the bathroom again Uh uh-huh can you can you start you might need a helper okay finish telling him about (laughs) sorry i'm like stuck in the seat of it so i can't do the bathroom duty um no it's all good all good called wisdom uh (laughs) listen to the whole album and most of the album most of the album was done um two of the songs were written right before the pandemic started when i was actually postpartum with our third child and uh, um (laughs) <laughs> Abner wrote heaven is everywhere in the shower and he came out and I was like so exhausted from the baby like all night he's like I wrote a song and I was like I hope you enjoy it because I will not be enjoying anything right now I want complete silence <laughs> okay. um, yeah baby she's coming hold on sorry <laughs> no so, don't hey, apologize I told you to log into my account so you can play you in Fortnite go oh, there you go and working no but you can log into my account on your console or use my console whatever they are whoa our daughter just ate it all. Uh-oh. Chaos is breaking loose right now in COVID Island. In this latest episode of COVID Island. Say hi. Hi. Yeah, so so there's a couple songs that were written like right before the pandemic hit. Um, and so those those ones made it that, but the large majority of them were in the pandemic and taken from uh, a lot of interesting personal places where friendships were changing and, you know, our life had changed so much and we were learning and growing and feeling challenged and all those things all at the same time. Um, so, you know, and I think especially like within, within these, kind of, like there's a song called getting older, like we're, you know, it's felt like we've all lost a couple years. You know what I mean? Like we were always mm-hmm. joking. We're like, how old are you? Okay. But like, um adjusted for pandemic how old am i because it's different uh but yeah it felt like you know 
like we were kind of like sitting there going, oh my gosh, like we're just like losing time. We're like, our kids are missing out on like normal childhood stuff. And, you know, and they don't even remember tour. They don't even remember tour anymore. And, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and, and like, what do we want to do next? And like, what's the next season look like? So there was a lot of kind of angst in us because of that. And then there was also a part of us that was like, wow, did we need this break? Like, I think we've gotten used to like a fast pace for so long that we, it was really like jolting for us to slow down. And it felt like it took probably a good year and a half before we were like, oh, this is what like a normal life schedule is like when you're not packing and unpacking and touring and schlepping and flying with the kids and flying back. And like, this is what like just not having like the utmost level of adrenaline going at all times feels like. Um, so, you know, there was just some interesting like things that we were going through. And so I, most of the album is a lot of our learning process over this challenging couple of years. Mm-hmm. Was it hard to to start the record? I mean, it sounds like you had, you know, you were postpartum after your second, yeah. you know, after your child and then, okay, Abner writes a song and you're like, yeah, that's great. Whatever. Like, right. was it hard to get in the mode to be like, oh, let's really get in the studio and record a new record. And then add to that, add to that, we filmed three seasons of a TV show. We wrote yeah. a book. Oh all my goodness. At the same time. Yeah. yeah so it, it was, was uh, it was a little bit wild. Um, I no, found I it think, to be a respite. Yeah, I, I found it to say, be a I getaway. Think, I think we, <laughs> especially once the postpartum thing was over and we were like settled at home. It was like, let's write some songs. It was beautiful. It was beautiful to be able to sit in the room. It was, it was like, it was like, uh, I imagine uh, Tom Hanks with Wilson. The soccer ball. Yeah, the volleyball or whatever. When uh, Tom Hanks' character finally gets to see a mirror again, it's like, oh, that's me. Okay, let me clean some Cast of this away, up. Castaway, shipwrecked. What is it called? Castaway. Castaway, right? yeah. yeah. And uh, getting in the studio after all that, after TV making, book writing, baby having, it so was like, like yeah, I was like, okay, let me shave. Yeah. There's my face. Yeah, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's get back at it. It's uh, it was refreshing, and I think, I think in the in the most honest way, this album and these songs are a Polaroid picture of who we are in the moment we wrote the songs and in the moment we recorded these songs. I think there's a lot. I think oftentimes you can hear a lot of a person's soul in their songs. Mm-hmm. And you can you can hear a lot of their soul and how a song's produced. And one of the reasons I'm really proud of having been the producer on this album, there was a couple songs that I co-produced with some way more talented than me producers, Malejo, all Grammy award winnings. Malejo, Harold Brown, nothing's not Grammy award winning yet. But you know, I'm one of of two guys on the album that hasn't won a Grammy yet, production. And uh, it was really amazing, I think, to put forward the most honest truth we could, not just lyrically and musically, but also in the production. This is who we are. We're not trying to be Rihanna. We're not trying to catch Levi Rodrigo. I'm not trying to be Ed Sheeran. Mm-hmm. This is us being absolutely us. And I'm really proud of that. And I think for that reason, the album is eponymous. For that reason, it's our fourth album, but mm-hmm. it's the first album we've ever self-titled because it feels the most us. It feels the most looking in the mirror after a few years, cleaning the stubble off, seeing your face again. This is absolutely us. Uh, good, bad, or ugly, accepted, unaccepted, loved, adored, heralded, or not. This is us. I love that. And I love the record. The, the songs I've heard thus far are absolutely incredible. The video you guys did um, for Desmond's song is awesome as well. Like, yeah, I, I'm really excited. The record comes out, I think, what, tomorrow? Oh, tonight? Yeah, or tonight, midnight. Wow. How pumped are you? 
It's weird to be pumped because we're like in a hotel room. Oh, that's like, true. Like, <laughs> and taking, you know, COVID tests and true. It's okay. But, uh, but I think tomorrow, tomorrow the, the kids will be uh, in a house safely, comfortably, and we'll go on to the next show. And I think we'll be able to celebrate a little bit tomorrow. I think. Amazing. Amazing. Well, get island here. Sure. Well, I I really appreciate you both being here, especially yeah, no, with these circumstances. <laughs> well, like, wow. We're, I'm we're glad so- to not be just talking to my kids. I love my kids. <laughs> <laughs> we are talking to some other people. Well, First that's amazing. Sorry, go ahead. First time in a week. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't wait. Have you real quick? Have you played the opera before? No. Never the opera. Oh, so yeah. this is probably a big, big show for yeah, the both of you. I mean, for Nashville. Yeah. 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 I guess it's like Ryman plus or like Ryman next. <laughs> yeah. the, the next step after the Ryman, I guess, is the Opry. It's going to bring me a lot of memories. Oh, you did. Oh, yeah. For years. Even oh, after wow. I got fired, I kept my uniform and I would go back on Sundays, which is the big money day for a valet <laughs> at a big hotel. And I would just show up and just work for tips. No I way. They'd be like, oh, I guess Abner's here. All right. But there's so <laughs> many valets. It didn't matter. <laughs> As long as that I was hilarious. into the pot. Oh man, that's really funny and brilliant. I guess at the same regard. But I again, I could ahead. work a whole Sunday, make like two hundred bucks, and I could live for like a month off of that. <laughs> at the time, Jack in the Box had like dollar burgers, dollar dogs, maybe even a fifty cent hot dog or something. Oh gosh. Oh yeah, no, oh, the 50 man. Cent hot dog. Neil, here's my green juice. Is like <laughs> fifty cent hot dog. Oh yeah, from fast no, food restaurants. <laughs> Well, again, thank you both so, so much for doing this. Uh, my last que- question is if yeah. you have any advice for aspiring artists. Oh, man. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Here's two. I got two bits of advice. Don't look when you're looking for teammates. You know, a lot of people will tell you, you know, you got to get the right lawyer, the right agent, the right manager. And you do. You want to have all the right people on your team. When you're looking for teammates, don't look for an eagle to swoop down and carry you to the mountaintop. Look for someone who will stand shoulder to shoulder with you against all odds, face that mountain and take every step with you along the way. That's what you really want. You don't want a hero to come save you. You want somebody who's going to be a part of your story with you. So that's a note for adding teammates and believing in yourself. You don't need an eagle. That's, that doesn't last. That kind of success isn't something that's sustainable. You're going to be constantly looking for the next thing, the next person to either blame or to congratulate for your success. You can do it on your own. Find people that will fight right alongside with you. And number two, this is the most important part. And I've I've heard it said before, this isn't my quote, never make a plan B. This is so there are parents at home, uh, you know, that would be squeamish hearing me say this. But if you make a plan B, it will be your plan A. Still pay your bills. No, pay your bills. Do your thing, man. But absolutely never, ever, ever give up. Never give up. Never, ever give up. Never, ever give up. Never, ever give up that's the advice i love that i love i was gonna say um make it so that every stage is is these are the good old days a stage Mm, that's good like if you can say ah these are the good old days and every stage you're gonna be just fine because it doesn't matter whether you're working at starbucks or valeting and you're just playing at coffee shops true we look at that like ah, the good old days when we were just putting our own microphones in the back of the car and then 
you know, later on, oh, the good old days or before we had kids and we were driving ourselves, we were playing these cool festivals. And right now I'm sure we'll look back and be like, oh, the good old days we were trapped in a room with our kids with COVID. (laughs) (laughs) But at every stage, if you can kind of say to yourself, these are the good old days, you'll be all right. And you'll, 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 it'll keep your fire burning longer, you know? (laughs) 